Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Shares for beginners. Some people might buy an ESG ETF and a technology one and an overall market one and not realise that depending on what they buy, there's crossover in the holdings. You might have CBA and ResMed and CSL appear in quite a few of those because of how those ETFs are set up. And if you do that, there's the potential that if something affects CBA negatively and it's across three or four of the ETFs that are in your portfolio, you're going to get hit on each of those. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Well, the other night I saw on ABC News a story about ETFs. They may be a bit slow to the party, but it shows that more and more people are discovering ETFs and that they're not something you do with your online banking, which seems to be a common misconception, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) Yeah, it sure does. If no one knows what an ETF is, it's like the first thing they think, electronic funds transfer. That's where I tap my card, right? (laughs) (laughs) Here for an ETF overview is Mark Monfort from ETF Tracker and or New Era Analytics. G'day, Mark. G'day, Phil. Thanks very much for coming over here today. Thanks for having me. So, New Era Analytics is a company dedicated to helping others by turning raw data into powerful and actionable insights. It aims to help you do more and get over the humps, hurdles and challenges that you face day to day, no matter what your level is of sophistication. What inspired you to start New Data Analytics? Are you a bit of a data nerd? I, I am, and yeah. I, I wear that moniker very proudly, actually. <laughs> That's good. Um, That's nice. I've been in data for over a decade, Yeah, accidentally falling into it. I turned out uh, from, from being an auditor, actually. I started off in accounting and realized I had much more passion for the spreadsheets than, yes, yeah. you know, checking on the, <laughs> the accounts. And, uh, yeah, been been in it over a decade and in financial markets for probably the last six, seven years also. So, you know, they go hand in hand. And that's where you discovered the uh, the joy of the spreadsheet, huh? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, the joy of the spreadsheet and the joy of actually using cool technologies to make yeah. spreadsheet work a lot faster. Okay. So, um, whereabouts were you working? You mentioned before we started recording that you'd yeah. been doing some data management for um, large institutional investors. What was that all about? So, basically, um, I have worn many hats in the world of data. One of those was as a consultant. I also sold software. Mm. And then one day, one of my clients or potential clients, he was in a startup and I had no idea at the time, but he was pretty well known in the investment banking space here in Australia. And he was uh, looking for some data help and my company couldn't help him at the time, but I was really interested in what he was doing. And, you know, we talked further and um, he brought me aboard to be his technology lead. And turns out I got to learn all about the wonderful world of investment banking and equity research and macroeconomics and yeah just so um, you didn't have a finance background you were in kind of didn't no like yeah. I, I never pictured myself in investment banking it was always a curiosity but i thought oh you know it's too late i'm already in accounting i'm a, i was working at cba <laughs> as an analyst um, i like and, that and it's I got too to, late i'm in yeah. accounting <laughs> yeah i thought i thought it was, i thought it was too late i thought my life was kind of set but um you realize after a little while that uh when you you know go out there and network and talk with people there's some great ideas out there 
And I was actually listening to a podcast at the time that said you either have the greatest idea yourself or you recognize that someone else has got a really good idea and you work with them. And I chose the latter and, um, you know, got to travel to London, got to work for some big investment banks, got to work at the ASX as part of that journey and uh, learn a lot more about investment banking than I ever knew I would. Yeah. 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 So um, when did you start New Era? At the start of this year, in, yeah. uh, in late January and February. Well, just the start of this year, yeah. a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have started it sooner, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish I did. <laughs> and uh, what sort of clients do you um, work for these days? Mostly in financial markets, just purely because of since 2018, coming back to Australia, the majority of the work I have done has been in capital markets. But we also help healthcare, energy markets clients, government clients as well. I've done a couple of jobs for local councils, for example, and government clients up in Queensland. So there's a diverse range, but most of the time it is capital markets. So you, what you're taking raw data mm-hmm. and then putting it into a usable form, is that how it works? Pretty much. Like if you imagine um, anytime you've seen a PDF yeah. and there's a chart or there's a table in there, it looks interesting and you can read the research, but you can't really interact with it. Or if you see that there's a lot of different spreadsheets out there. So you might go to the ABS website and there's a lot of spreadsheets there with really valuable insights um, on demographics or population growth, etc. But unless you actually know how to do stuff with Excel, it becomes hard to use. It's very manual and very few people are, you know, really good at Excel. Well, how do we make it easier? There's technologies out there that can turn those things into clickable, explorable, and very highly visual applications. And when things are visual, it tells more of a story. And Mm. so that's, that's really a key for me, you know, getting people to understand the really valuable insights from data, because if it's sitting there, it's raw, It's kind of not that great, but if you make it into something interactive, there's a lot of value that can come from that. Let's talk about the apps. Mm -hmm. Like when you go to ETF Tracker website, which is, what's the um, the web address? Uh, www.etftracker.com.au. Nice and easy. And it's got a few apps there as well. So there's the ETF Tracker app, which we'll get onto, but Mm -hmm. um, you've got a discontinued Robin Hood app as well. Yeah. What inspired you to do that one? Well, I can't remember if it was 2019 or 2020 because COVID has kind of muddied up uh, the waters in terms of where time's gone. But there was a guy that in the US, he was a college student and he built an API. So an API is just a way to share data. He built this API that you could access and get the user patterns of trades on Robinhood. You wouldn't see who's trading, but you could see what stocks were being bought. And if you think about how markets work, like is there a lot of momentum going into certain stocks? And there was at the time with things like Nikola, um, the Tesla rival, so to speak, at the time. Yeah, that's one of them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that was there definitely as well. And you could see a lot of this pattern of behavior. It was only on the Robinhood app, but um, he built like a little mini interface on his website. But there were certain things missing from there. It was hard to do comparisons. So I thought, well, look. I'm a data professional and I'm trying to market what it is that I was doing for my firm at the time. And I thought this might be a good idea to get the data and put it into an app. And we've done other apps as well with mm. superannuation. So there's a couple of things there from APRA. I had built a COVID tracker as mm-hmm. well. Yep, I and saw that on the website. Yeah, Very, very early on. And we got mm-hmm. to help the AFR at the time build out there. And uh, shout out to uh, Ed Tadros over there at the AFR. We helped him and his team build out their COVID tracking suite of applications as well. And so I think there's just a lot of power in data and you can share more information and insights from putting this kind of stuff out there, just like ETF Tracker. 
Yeah. So tell us about ETF Tracker. What's that showing us? Yeah. Well, ETF Tracker was um, kind of like a um, accidental application, I would say, but it's proved to be quite valuable. And the reason I say accidental is because I worked at the ASX and when I left, I was there as a salesperson. It was a fun time to be there. Got to you know get to know the market really well. Um, I just didn't have any products to deliver as yet because they were still building those and that's, you know, they're growing that out. But um, when I left, I thought, well, you know, what better way to give back to the community that I got to know than to build an app with what ASX data is available. And, you know, when you look at it, they do really well in terms of publishing monthly insights on ETFs to give people a lot of different metrics about what's going on in the market. And if you don't is, understand- is that, is that that PDF that comes out once yeah. a month? Yeah, yeah. We've talked about that on the podcast before. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of yeah. Pe- I've been at conferences and other people speak about that as like a good way to get insights about the ETF markets. Yeah. And the thing is, it's great. There's a PDF and then there's Excel files, but they come out spread out each month, right? So if you want to piece together a story, you have to manually pull that kind of data together. So Mm. I built a process so that when that data comes out, I automatically have it updated in the app. And then I produce some research on the back of that. So people want to read PDFs or if they want to look at the app or if they want to do some fancier type of analysis. And I've had friends and also people in industry ask me for help. Hey, can you give me, um, you know, what the net inflows are per ETF issuer? And, you know, we can do that because we've got all the data there stringed together in the app. And it's harder to do that from just having the raw Excel file or the raw PDF. You can't necessarily do that. Mm. So give us a bit of an idea of what it looks like. I know we're, we're talking in a, uh, yeah. an audio medium, but um, what's the, um, the app actually showing? Yeah, so the, I, I've divided it up into four key areas. And so the landing page is a dashboard with mm-hmm. a few things that you can look at. So there's performance that you see straight away. You can look at inflows because that's pretty important. Inflows are a sign of popularity in ETFs. And there's also FUM and how the funds under management or assets under management are growing. The reason we've got those, A, because they're the most commonly spoken about metrics, but on that dashboard, I've actually grouped it up, not across all ETFs, but across all the different categories. So you can see that Aussie equities, you know, what are they performing like versus global property versus fixed income. In, versus the, in the context of the ETF, is that Exactly. The case? So yeah. we group the ETFs into those categories or well, actually the ASX and TriX, um, where we get the data from, group those into categories. And we provide that as a high level snapshot picture. And it's color coded because if something's doing bad, it's red. <laughs> if it's doing well, it's green. Is it a sea of green or a sea of red? If you're colorblind, you know, hopefully there's a way to distinguish that. You can look at the numbers there. But that is a good just initial snapshot because there is so much information that you don't want to overload the users so they can take a look at that snapshot for the April figures, which is what's there. The second part is where you want to deep dive into the analytics and you want to look at different metrics over time. So how has FUM performed over time for a particular issuer? You go into, so what's actually hmm. important about that, about the funds under management? Why is it that such a key metric in the data world? Uh, It's an often spoken about metric and part of it is the popularity of the ETF markets, um, how big it's growing. There's a lot of news talking about Australia's finally hit 100 billion. billion. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's at nearly 107 now. If we round up, it's 106.8. But FUM and inflows go hand in hand because that shows the popularity of the market as that's continued to grow. Yes, there are outflows, but the majority of the time we are getting 
a net positive in inflows and FUM is just continuing to grow. It shows how big the market here is in Australia compared to global. We, we are still a lot smaller than the US and Europe, but we are a growing market and it's very important, especially as there's more retail investors getting in. There's articles like BetaShares did a research study and showed that there's, what, 720,000 new people coming into the ETF market since last year, most of those millennial and quite young, like under 40. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very important to just, you know, see how the market is growing there. It's not just about um, performance because performance depends on your time horizon, right? It might have a great one month return in a single ETF, but if your time horizon is 20 years, you don't care about the one month. So, and yeah. really, this is something we always hammer home. You shouldn't yeah. be worried about that one month before. Shouldn't be worried about one year's performance. You Absolutely, know? it's got to be over a long period of time, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And so, the other two parts of the ETF tracker. So, we said the dashboard, which is the snapshots. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a heat map, and you can see what's good and bad. There's the analytics side, which is the deep dive into the metrics that come out from the ASX and ChiX. The third part is a comparison tool, so you can pick two different ETFs and see what they look like versus each other. You can pick the two robo type ETFs or you can look at the different commodities or the different ESG themed ETFs and you can see them side by side. And then the last one is what I call data stories. And the data stories because it's not just the charts on the page, but there's narrative, there's a bit of filtering and there's these big charts on the page so that people that don't necessarily have the time to look into and click around all the metrics. If they just want to get a, another snapshot, but with more of a, a narrative there, we cater to those as well. So we try to cater the app to, you know, I've had institutional friends, so professionals that actually use the app to do their analysis because I make it easy for them. And I've got a lot of retail people using the app. So yeah, we're trying to cater to yeah, a few well, visual, places. Visual really works, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. yeah. It you tell a good story. Yeah. And um we'll be able to embed a couple of these apps onto the blog post for this episode for Absolutely. the listener who wants to check them out. We sure will. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's start looking about where people can go to learn, learn more about ETFs. Uh, There's many places that people can learn. Google and YouTube are probably your best friends um, Mm -hmm. in this place. But apart from that, the ASX themselves have a lot of good insights on ETFs. Not only do they publish that monthly update from the team there, but they've also got ETF education series on their website that you can go and learn as well as the ETF issuers. And it makes sense because it's in their best interest to educate the market, (laughs) but they've got some really good, valuable um, type of training and resources where you can go to learn. And really with ETF providers, I found you can actually just call them up and talk to someone as well, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. If you need a, a human interaction... It's really easy to do. Don't be afraid to call them up. That's it. And they run a lot of events throughout the year. There's various investor days, whether it's the ASX running them or others, other associations, but they go to these things a lot because it's in their interest to educate. And the thing is, people just need to ask the questions. I find a lot of people will ask their friends, oh, what do you think? 
well, you know, now that there's these Facebook and Reddit groups and some are a bit extreme, mm-hmm. but some are a bit more, you know, they do share some good knowledge there. There's a lot of good insights out there to just get started, but it depends on your style. Do you like watching videos in the background while you're cooking? Mm. Do you want to listen to a podcast as mm-hmm. well on your way you drive into work? Or do you actually want to read things? Yeah. Um, there's resources out there for all. For every kind of uh, Abs- information, yeah. Absolutely. Sophia, what are the most important things for a beginner just finding out about ETFs? What's the most important things to consider and learn about? Uh, I think you need to learn about some of the, the jargon. Like any industry that anyone wants to jump into, you've got to learn to talk the talk a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, we talk about inflows and um, pricing and NAV. NAV's a pretty important part as well. Um, Let's explain. Let's break down a couple mm. of those. What is NAV? So NAV is, uh, it stands for net asset value. And NAV is basically, you take into account shares, bonds, and cash. Uh, You take away the liabilities and you divide that by the shares outstanding. And that is supposed to give you a value of the ETF fund um, at a point in time. But isn't that updated almost like on a second by second basis? Uh, it kind of is, but they only publish the new nav at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. what is updated during trading hours is the price. So the price is supposed to be in line with nav, mm-hmm. but it often is not. And what they do is they say that the price, the share price of the ETF is trading um, higher or lower or at a premium or discount to to nav. Really? I thought that was only an LIC thing. I didn't realize that happened It happens in, ETF. in ETFs as well. Really? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's it's something interesting to look at. And people might get And how worried. would you use this information? Um, it's harder to use it if you've got a longer term kind of horizon. Yeah, okay. And it's well, very, very longer term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's really hard for like, say, retail traders, unless you're using something like, say, interactive brokers, where you, you've got the skills and the capacity to trade at the second, mm-hmm. because you've got to think of uh, brokerage fees and and whatnot. But it's useful to know that these things revert to the mean. What that means, what reversion to the mean is that they basically will over time trade in line with each other. Mm. So just because they might be out of line for a little bit, they go back into line because it's there's these people that are called market makers and it's up to them to make sure that these things trade back in line. Yep. And what about MER? That's another term that um, yep. is really important, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, what's the MER? MER, um, it's the expense ratio or management expense ratio. Mm-hmm. So there are different kind of fees that go into an ETF and one of those is management expenses. And that's important to look at because ETFs are supposed to offer what they call, you know, the global kind of sticker that they put on the bumper is that, you know, this is low cost. And the way that they show it's low cost is that if you were to go to just a fund that's not listed, you're going to pay- A managed fund. Yeah. You're going to to go and pay to a managed fund a higher kind of fee for management as well as performance. The old saying was two and 20. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of hard to get 2% management fee and 20% for commission. As much as it used to be, it's more like maybe one in ten or whatever it is. So I don't understand those figures. What what's that referring to? So two and twenty was what uh, institutions used to charge. Like asset managers would typically charge for their services two percent mm-hmm. of how much assets are under management. Yeah, and then if they made you know performance metrics like whatever that 
uh, was say, you know, they had to hit X amount in oh, a year. If they, if they had a, a goal to hit, if they outperformed exactly. it, then there was a yeah. performance fee on top There's of that. There's a performance well. fee on top of that. That performance right. fee used to be maybe say 15 to 20%. Well, so <laughs> two and 20 used to be the, the yeah. name for it. Some some are quite high because they perform really well. There's a, a well-known and viewers should look this up because there's some good stories called um, Renaissance Technologies mm-hmm. started by a mathematician. His was like four and 40 or something yeah. like that. So it really depends. But yeah, um, management expense ratios, going back to that, it's all about what is the cost of the ETF issuer managing that fund and some are higher than others. Mm-hmm. And um, this is also based on whether it's active and passive as well, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. a passive index fund is going to be a very low management cost, isn't it? Typically, fees are lower, but not for all. So, mm-hmm. it depends on what that passive thing is tracking, what index it's tracking, and they don't all have the same management expense ratio. And you can see that in the data in um, ETF trackers. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that, you know, you might have this belief that, oh, this is the way it should be. The world mm. is supposed to be like this. But if you look at the data, the data doesn't lie. You yeah. Know, so, you need, that's why we built ETF Tracker to be able to mm-hmm. answer those kind of questions, like in a particular industry or if you're comparing ETFs, well, you might assume that one is more costly than the other, but you've got to take a look at it. And what about some other metrics that uh, are important in uh, considering ETFs? Well, each month, uh, the data that comes out, some of the most talked about just because it is indications of popularity is inflows and inflows is the amount of money coming in and money going out. So they call the full name is net inflows. And that's also a good sign of how popular an ETF is. And is that a good sign? Like if it's got good inflows, it's a good sign that it's a good ETF? Uh, it's a sign that people are buying into it. Mm-hmm. And that can lead to, you know, seeing prices rise. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's exactly what, uh, you know, is good about it just because people are buying into it. It might be because they need to park their money somewhere because there's more fear in the market than there is growth. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't guarantee that whoever had the most inflows in that month is going to perform the best. There's two other, I guess, uh, things that, you know, should mention here too, but uh, Spread is another thing that is often spoken about in the world of ETFs. What's spread? Spread expresses a percentage and it is the difference between the bid and the ask. And for those that know about trading, it's about how much people are willing to sell an ETF for and what are the buyers asking for that. So when you're on your online app mm, and you see buy or sell and there's a bid and an offer, so you you could immediately sell at a price that's there. Yeah, or buy on the other hand. And the idea there is that the lower the spread, the closer those two things are. And the lower the spread, so, the more yeah. likely you're going to be able to execute or get that trade to happen. Because if it's a wide spread, that could be risky if you're seeing ETFs that have wide spreads. It's going to be a bit harder for you. In case of market turmoil and you want to get out of that and the spread is wide and there's not that much trading going on in that ETF, Good luck getting out. So these are just things that people kind of need to know yeah. in the world of ETFs. Don't just go buy willy-nilly any ETF and, you know, great, it's got this great name on there. I'm going to go buy that. 
you have to do your homework mm-hmm. or, you know, hopefully your financial advisor, whoever you're using, is doing their homework on this. Yeah. Okay. And there was one other you mentioned that you were going to talk about? Uh, liquidity oh, okay. as yeah. well. So that's another metric that comes out in the ETF tracker app. Mm-hmm. And the ASX and Chiax provide that information. And liquidity is about how much volume there is going on in terms of the trading of that ETF. Because if something isn't being traded as much, for example, there's really low volumes, low liquidity, and it's got a high spread, those are some warning signs there that if the market turns sideways, like we've seen recently with crypto. <laughs> yeah. Um, sideways. You, so, yeah. <laughs> putting it putting it nicely. <laughs> you are going to have a hard time trying to get out of those trades if that's what you want to do. Mm. Yeah. So let's dwell a little bit on the pitfalls. What are some of the pitfalls that um, people need to watch out for? Are there any others apart from what you've just been talking about? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we spoke about one of the pitfalls, um, which is commonly referred to as, you know, having something that's got a uh, high spread and low liquidity. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a pitfall. You also want to look at um, holdings and holdings are important because people might buy different named ETFs. Like, I don't know many people that would buy too many, you know, of the same kind of theme. Like I bought like three or four different ESG ETFs, Mm -hmm. but some people might buy an ESG ETF and a technology one and an overall market one and not realize that depending on what they buy, there's crossover in the holdings. You might have CBA and ResMed and CSL appear in quite a few of those because of how those ETFs are set up. And if you do that, there's the potential that if something affects CBA negatively and it's across three or four of the ETFs that are in your portfolio, you're going to get hit on each of those. It does depend on how much weight um, is because you the, want a bit, you want diversification, don't you? Yeah, so that's it. That's the, the point of ETFs. To, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, if you buy ETFs and you think that they're different, but you might be actually more concentrated than you actually realise. Exactly. And mm. the concentration thing, it's a risk that uh, a lot of people in the world of institutional trading will look at when they look at ETFs. So it's also important just because the information is widely available, retail investors need to look at concentration risk as well. And this goes hand in hand with another C, which is correlation. Correlation is all about the price movement of that ETF. And the reason you want to look at the price movement of the ETF or the underlying holdings of the ETF is because if you buy two ETFs, for example, someone might have, I don't know anyone that would do this, but if you had VAS and IOZ, very commonly held what they call core type ETFs because it's ASX 200 and ASX 300, they are like 99% correlated Mm. or 95 and up. What that means is that you will get the same performance from both. Let's say it's up 20% since whatever period you started from, but you're paying double the management fees. You're paying double the brokerage to buy in and buy out and trade that. And you know if you're dollar cost averaging and putting in more, you're paying more brokerage on those. So you're just doubling up or maybe even potentially tripling up depending on how correlated the different ETFs are in your portfolio. But luckily, if you're an investor, if you use some apps that track your portfolio, they can give you some of those warnings, or you can simply download your holdings into, say, Google Spreadsheets. Mm. And there's a lot of freely available tools out there to show you how you can figure out correlation across your portfolio. You just got to Google it. Wow. And I think also one of the other risks that people should be aware of is I think a lot of people go into ETFs thinking that they're absolutely safe. I'm talking about real beginners here, Mm -hmm. but they can go down. If the whole market goes down, yeah. Everything gets pulled down. 
look at March last year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's um, some ETFs were down 20%, mm-hmm. right? Um, imagine that, like you put all your eggs into or a couple of your eggs into a basket of um, some of these ETFs and it went down that much. If you had a short-term horizon, you panicked, um, you would have solidified those those losses there. So the risk around thinking that you're diversified, but without really looking and understanding is there. So people do need to do their homework. The thing is, there's a lot of resources and apps and data sets out there that can help retail investors get this level of understanding. And I think it's a learning process as well. A lot of people think that you can put your ETFs in the bottom drawer and just leave them for years, which is what people want to do. A lot of people want to do, but you do have to be careful at a certain level on some of these risks that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm. Absolutely. And the thing is, some people go to the other extreme and don't just like put them away and never look at them again, which I would argue isn't that bad because markets have ebbs and flows and cycles. So tech's not being loved right now. Technology stocks are not being loved, but they can come back if you hold on long enough. But the other side is people over-trading ETFs, and that's a dangerous thing to do as well. Mm. Because all of a sudden, you are taking away from the benefits of the ETF being passive. There is costs associated with trading, and you can actually lose a lot of the benefit from trading in and out of some of these ETFs. So it's something to think about as well. What do you think about dividend reinvestment plans in ETFs? I'm all for them, depending on your time horizon, right? And just let's explain what a DRP is. A DRP is a way for ETF investors to get the benefits of the dividends that are naturally coming from those holdings, but doing it through um, the ETF. And so when we take a look at in the app, and this is from the data provided by um, the ASX and ChiX, we look at uh, what is called total price returns, which takes into account dividends being reinvested. So what would it be if you leave those dividends to be reinvested over time and what are the benefits of that? So we take that into account. I'm a firm believer in doing that unless you need to change that style. You know, and there's, there's, a lot adva- of, there's advantages being in a DRP as well, isn't there? There is. Mm. And there's a lot of good reading out there. I'm not going to be the best person to unfortunately yeah, yeah. explain all of that. But definitely if people Google these things and look up the pros and cons, The key is whether it's talking about that and, you know, say active versus passive in terms of ETFs, you've got to look at what suits you in terms of your style and your risk tolerance, you know. So, yeah, same thing with DRPs or investing in different sectors. Does that suit your style? Yeah. So tell us about New Era. Uh, So New Era is... I mean, we've talked a lot about New Era, but getting in touch with you, where you are on the socials and um, how you interact with um, with people. Well, we try to keep busy with the socials as we're building up the brand name. Um, New Era, as you said at the start, we're all about harnessing the power of data. We're all about data storytelling because data sits there. And as we've spoken about on the show, there's tons of data out there. But unless you're actually turning it into interactive stories and insights, it's kind of useless. And um, we are in the media. So I'm on AusBiz from time to time talking about ETFs. I'll be at various conferences on the new era analytics .com.au. So a bit of a mouthful there, but that was the, uh, I couldn't get a shorter um, website name at the time, but neweraanalytics.com.au is where we share a lot of the apps that we've created as well as data stories. And we're part of a bigger collective that is about to launch called Open Insight. And we're bringing across a bunch of experts from other industries together to solve 
various data solutions for the market. We'll do stuff with different kinds of data like superannuation. We're doing stuff on cryptocurrency as well. So if you've got investors that are interested in that kind of stuff, if they just look up New Era Analytics, you can see this kind of stuff being shared. We're on LinkedIn as well. People can reach out on LinkedIn. Twitter as well, um, Instagram, uh, various kind of places there. So it might be a uh, TikTok too dance far. video. You're doing an da- interpretive dance of ETF uh, video. <laughs> not that diversified. Yeah. I'm definitely not a fintocker, although I've seen that get quite popular. So mm. we've just got to wait and see. Hopefully there's good advice that's being shared on those things. But if something seems questionable, go back to Google and YouTube and, and really look into these things. And like I said, there's a lot of different good sites for education out there. It's just a matter of um, spreading the word on what those ones are. So hopefully we can share a lot of good ones with uh, your viewers. Mark Monfort, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Sulas for music production out of Garlic Breath Studio. Remember, music flows when the bunny don't. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.